All right, welcome back to Bar Talk Episode 2. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Adam. Uh, and tonight I'm drinking a little hard alcohol, getting a little out of control for a Thursday night here. Uh, we got a little whiskey Coke. To my right, I got Blake. Blake, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing really great, Adam. Thanks for asking. I think we're going to need some hard alcohol tonight. Uh, it's going to be a rough podcast. I'm, su- I'm surprised we made it through week one, if I'm being honest here. Uh, this evening, I'm going to be, uh, I'll be sipping a spiked sparkling water with a hint of ruby grapefruit. Some like to refer to this as a white claw. Uh, it wasn't my first choice tonight, but uh, we'll take free yeah, over. Yeah, we gotta work over, with yeah, work with what we have. We'll yeah. take free over anything else. So that's what I'll be drinking that's tonight. Good call. Andrew to my left. How are we doing? Doing well, Adam. How you doing? But uh, basically tonight I'll be drinking an Anheuser Busch product. Some like to refer to it as Bud Light, but uh, it's not my favorite beer. But Mr. Jonah Pellegrino gave me a free one, so I took it. We have to roll with that. All right. Well, welcome to Bar Talk, because life's best conversations happen at a bar. So pull up a stool, grab a beer. And let's talk. All right, so this episode we're going to be talking about uh, the primary. So we're going to go into the background of the primary, how it all works, and then we're going to go into a little bit of analysis about what's going on for this year, um, specifically into Mike Bloomberg's campaign. Um, So I'll go ahead and kick it off for us. Uh, so a lot of people kind of have a lot of questions about what a primary is and how it all works. Um, and the basics of it, the point of it is just to choose a presidential candidate for a specific party. Um, so Democrats and Republicans both have a primary uh, depending on who's in office. So Republicans in office right now, uh, so the Democrats have a primary for this election cycle. Um, so every state and all U.S. territories have a primary or a caucus, uh, which is kind of interesting. So those territories still have one, but... Uh, They're not allowed to vote in the election, but they send delegates to the um, national conventions. Uh, So to get started here, to get on the ballot in the first place, presidential candidates need a lot of signatures. Uh, So that's why people have to have money and some backing to even run for president, uh, because you have to have a certain amount of signatures in each state to be on the ballot uh, for the primary. Um, But every state has its own unique procedures uh, for conducting primary contests. So some states do a classic primary uh, where you just show up and vote uh, for your favorite candidate. and Others have a caucus. And a lot of people are like, what the hell is a caucus? And there's a lot of questions behind it. Um, But basic form, basically a caucus, you're assigned to a caucus site, which is usually like a high school gym or something of the sort. And you show up and you actually have to publicly declare who you're supporting. Um, So that's why there's a lot of debate with caucuses because it's a low turnout because not a lot of people want to be that public about who they're supporting. I certainly wouldn't. (laughs) Would you you do that, Mr. Shaw? Are you talking about just voting in the caucus? Would you go to a caucus? Yeah, publicly declare who you're voting for. I probably wouldn't, no. Yeah, so that's why there's a lot of debate because a lot of people don't want to be that open about uh, who they support. Um, But a caucus is pretty interesting So basically you go, you stand in a group of who you support, um, and then the first round, if a candidate does not get 15% of the total populations that's there, then they're technically not viable. Um, So then the people that maybe support a candidate that didn't get 15%, then they have the option to go to a different candidate. Uh, So you actually have people who support um, candidates who were viable coming over to candidates who weren't and try and and those supporters who are supporting the non-viable candidate trying to convince them to go to their camp. Uh, so it's pretty interesting 
um, going on there. So some states do that, but then some states do the classic primary. Uh, and basically what all the candidates are fighting for is delegates. And delegates are certain people um, that are chosen to represent uh, the state at the convention in the summer. And the whole idea is the person with the most person with the majority delegates is going to win the convention. Um, so <laughs> kind of some background there. I don't know, Blake, you want to get into a little bit more about how the delegate system works? Sure. Um, I'd like to add real quick. I think, I think the caucus system is really just like a middle school dance. You know, you just everyone just goes on opposite sides of the room. They decide if they want to stay or leave. That's, That's what it really seems like to me. And only the worst states really do the caucus. Of course, Kansas is not one of those. But, I mean, we're talking about Iowa. Who else are we talking about here? Just some, some low-tier states to the caucus. Um, but the delegate overview is pretty simple. It's really um, – it's mayors, congressmen, um, congresswomen, just representatives from the state are the delegates. And depending on how the primary vote or the caucus goes, these delegates will have the option to um, – cast their vote accordingly based on the population of their state. What's interesting about it is they are not required in most states to cast their vote how the del or, or how the population votes. So say for example, the population votes for a certain candidate that the delegate does not support, the delegate would still have the option to vote for somebody else. So it seems like somewhat of a formality to kind, uh, kind of convince the population that they have a say in which sometimes they don't. Um, some states do require the delegates to, to, to vote for um, the the candidate that the state votes for, but not all. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But the goal of the, um, you know, of, of the, the presidential candidates is to get 1,991 delegates. And those are scattered all around the United States based on population. So for example, a state like Texas or a state like Florida is going to carry a lot more delegates than a state like Kansas. And so they focus on um, various states to get the magic number, 1991 delegates, and at that point, they receive the presidential nomination. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting, um, and you brought up Kansas for a second there. So to kind of give us some background here, uh, so Kansas is going to give a total of 47 delegates, uh, but what's interesting about that is Kansas primary is May 2nd, and the fact that they are that later it allows Kansas they get a 20% bonus in delegates uh, from the DNC because um, a lot of states like Iowa want to be early um, so that more presence or more candidates will campaign in those states early and make promises for those states. So to balance, kind of trying to find that balance, the DNC offers more delegate bonus if you wait and have yours a little bit later. Sure. Um, I think that's an interesting conversation to touch on here is um, there's a whole competition between the states. States want to have their primary or caucus as early as possible. And the reason for that is because um, there's a lot of momentum to be gained by early states. So it goes Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and then South Carolina. And those first four are absolutely pivotal to a campaign for PR reasons, to show the rest of the country that they have support. And so being early is very favorable for that exact reason because candidates will be there for the most time be making the most promises to those citizens that live in those states because they know if they don't perform in the first four, they're not going to continue through the election. Because those first four serve as a filter to get rid of candidates that are not going to make it the rest of the way. So if you don't make it through Iowa and New Hampshire, there's a more than likely chance if you're not a billionaire, then you're done. So uh, those first four states are pivotal. And so every state wants to be one of those first four because uh, of how the candidates have to cater to those early states. Yeah, it's interesting because 
those first four are really important, but they only count for about 4% of the total delegates. But it's kind of just to get a gauge of where people are at, where the candidates are at in rankings. And then, like you said, a lot of people drop out after those early states. Even they don't have a total percent, but if they think, oh, if I can't win here, then I'm not going to win. Exactly. Another point to bring up here is um, there's some been some recent discussion about, you know, why are these states early? What about Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada? What, what about those states makes them uh, more important than the other ones? And so that's been a discussion recently about um, – should it be based on which state is the most uh, the most similar to the Democratic Party? Because we checked earlier, and uh, Iowa is not really representative of the Democratic Party. It's I think ninety percent white, which is just not even close to what the Demo- the, the Democratic Party is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in racial diversity. So there's a lot of questions about why is Iowa first, or should it be a rotation? All those certain things, because Iowa, New Hampshire, are not really a great representation of what the national Democratic Democratic Party looks like. What What was the? Uh, this is going to be kind of coming out of left field, but there there was a disaster this year at the twenty. Was it the Iowa caucus in which they weren't able to successfully? Like they didn't release the vote until about forty eight hours following that Tuesday. Yeah, correct? absolutely. It was a it was a total mess. Um, for the first time, the Iowa caucus, if if I'm remembering correctly, for the first time they tried to do an electronic vote um, through a company called yeah, Shadow yeah. Incorporated, and it was an absolute disaster. Yeah. And not to mention uh, that the app didn't work. The votes were not counted properly. And just to even get into a little bit of funding here, the the Buttigieg campaign, uh, the billionaires backing him were also funding the shadow incorporation and and i would like to add here that Buttigieg won the iowa caucus so if you can put two and two together there we might <laughs> but uh this is also going to kind of come out of left field but is there any I, I, some of our listeners may be wondering this and myself i'm wondering this because i actually don't know the answer and this could be a stupid question but is there any correlation to the number of delegates a state has with the number of electoral votes they get it is similar so they're both ba- they're both based on population um, okay. So it's not going to be exactly the same, but if a state has a large amount of electoral votes, then they will also have a, a large share of delegates. Okay, it's it's pretty similar. Okay, so that, so it's both based, it's both yeah, population. population. Okay. So yeah. we're talking about Texas, California, Florida. Florida they yeah. have twenty mm-hmm. twenty five. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's kind of a variety of different factors, um, population based. And then we also found that it's determined also by how democratic they lean okay. uh, and then when they vote and if they vote with their neighboring states. So it sounds like it's pretty kind of fluctuates a lot, uh, which is kind of goes along with the whole interesting part of the primary is that it's really up to states and how they want to run it. Um, you know, way back in the Constitution days, there was nothing put in there about how primaries were going to work because they never envisioned to be this partisan. partisan. So it's kind of been changing throughout and this whole system actually didn't come about until about the 1970s so it's a pretty new overall system it's kind of changing it seems like every electric electoral cycle and uh i just want to just ask both of you a question uh, here uh, do you guys believe that uh in like the caucuses and the primaries you think that we have an issue with only the people on the outside of the republican party and outside of the democratic party let's the, the farther left, the more radical left, and the more radical right show up for those because they're more passionate about it. Absolutely. So this is why we end up with more 
radical candidates rather than moderate candidates, which the largest percentage of the population is moderates. So states can run on different systems. Some, I can't remember exactly what the name is, but some states run on the system if you are not a registered, in this case, in the 2020 election, if you are not a registered Democrat, then you are not allowed to vote in the primary caucus. And so obviously you're going to get only Democrats voting that, where maybe there's some moderate Republicans that would swing towards the Democratic end that are not allowed to vote in the primary, which obviously would affect the outcome of the presidential nominee. Um, there are some states that will allow, I think it's like semi-something, uh, semi-something, they will allow um, a registered uh, independent or Republican vote, and some are completely open. So it really depends. But primaries in general, um, it, it is not a, a well-attended uh, event. There are very, very few people who attend primaries, and because of that, you're going to get the incredibly passionate uh, Democrats and Republicans that are showing up to the primary. So I would agree with you there that it is not really a great representation of uh, what the American public feels because uh, most people, especially our age, are not going to vote in a primary ever until you're probably 65. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's tough to say. Especially caucuses when you have to show, show up and publicly stand with your group. Primaries, you definitely get more voters because all you have to do is, it's pretty much the same thing as election, choose who you want for um, to be the Democratic nominee, but caucuses are, are really low turnout because it's such a public thing and you have to be so passionate about, which is a smaller percent of the population. I would completely agree, and I would even say I'm pretty, uh, all of us, all three of us are pretty politically inclined, and I don't think a single one of us voted in a primary. No. So if you're talking about the people who are voting, it's even more than us three, yeah. and that's uh, that's pretty radical. Yeah, like I, I think the like my, the average voter, or like someone that's politically inclined, they'll maybe vote in the midterm election. Like I went out in twenty eighteen and voted just for the like, local and state officials, but like I don't see myself on a Tuesday in March heading to vote in the caucus, and I and that's why I do think we have an issue that we sometimes get candidates that don't necessarily align with the uh, American people's views. Agreed. Yeah. So to kind of give bring people up to speed. Uh, so right now, the current rankings, so Bernie Sanders is leading with 45. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is second with 25. Joe Biden with 15. Elizabeth Warren with eight. Amy Klobuchar with seven. Michael Bloomberg with zero. Tulsi Gabbard, she thinks she's still in it. She's got zero. And Tom Steyer, <laughs> trying to keep his money in it, uh, he's got zero as well. Um, so that kind of shows you, and what was the Blake number of the that you said, Blake, for to, to win? You need 1991 delegates to win. And so something we miss here is Super Tuesday. So we're talking about you have Iowa, um, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and then South Carolina. And then the week after that, March 3rd, if I remember correctly, is Super Tuesday. Yeah, this and Tuesday. Yeah, this Tuesday. is coming Tuesday. There will be about 15 states that all will hold their primary at one time. And so in this primary, we're talking about approximately a third of the delegates awarded in the entire primary process are going to be awarded this Tuesday. So this is kind of the make or break for a lot of candidates that they're going to see if, if they have a legitimate chance to actually get the presidential nominee or not. And so I would imagine about half the half the, the race is going to drop out after this Super Tuesday. And then, Blake, when, when would you typically say uh, like a – like an incumbent president, when does he actually like? When when will Donald Trump find out who his uh, competitor will be? It'll be about July. Okay. So once uh, once they go through the filtering process, the DNC, uh, the Democratic Nominating Committee, that's what the DNC stands for. You hear that a lot in mm -hmm. the news. Once the DNC goes through the filtering process and have their national convention in around July, that's when the official candidate will be determined. Okay. So they will have from July to November to schedule debates. Um, you know. 
and officially know who who is running against who mm-hmm. from July to November. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so the conference is the convention is July thirteenth through the sixteenth in Milwaukee this year. And that's when they will announce. Yep, the but comes out on stage but most most of the primaries are done by around the end of April. So a lot of the times you'll know then it just won't become official until July. Uh, so it kind of just depends. It's pretty rare for, but it's possible that a convention can be contested. Yeah, um, it's possible. But a lot of the times you'll know early summer, um, but then it won't become official until July. Sure. So yeah, I think that's a pretty good overview. I hope people who didn't know much about the process kind of learned something there. I know a lot of people, a lot of Americans don't know much about how the primary process actually works mainly because it is pretty damn confusing. Um, but hopefully we kind of broke it down there and made a little more, more understanding um, so you can follow along a little bit more closely there. But now I think we'll go ahead and transition in the second part, kind of start analysis, getting some analysis going on what's going on today. Uh, so I know we had read the current rankings of pledged delegates, um, and one name he mentioned there was Michael Bloomberg, and he's been a pretty interesting candidate so far. And right now he's sitting at zero pledged delegates, but uh, with the amount of money he has, he's still pretty in it. Yeah, I would love to talk about Michael Bloomberg. Um, he's a very interesting candidate. And the reason that he has zero delegates, by the way, that we should add in here is because his name was not on the ballot sheet for the first couple primaries and caucuses. So I believe Nevada or no, South Carolina, I think will be the first time that his name is actually on uh, the sheet to be voted for. But Michael Bloomberg, a little bit of backstory about him. He was the mayor of New York for uh, three terms, and he's worth approximately $60 billion. Uh, I would, re- I would uh, assume that you would recognize the, the Bloomberg name from the, the Bloomberg uh, Publishing Corporation. They do lots of news media. News Empire. Yeah, News, news Empire, lots of that kind of I'm stuff. Biased. Yeah, oh, absolutely unbiased. So like I said, he was the mayor of New York City for approximately uh, three terms. And during that time, my understanding is he was a pretty light mayor. I think he had a, a pretty positive relationship with New York City. There were a couple things that were a little bit dicey, but for the most part, what I've seen in my research is that he improved the economy. Um, he he touched big issues for people in New York City, like he banned public smoking. He built a lot of, uh, of parks. He was very health conscious, and a big thing about Michael Bloomberg is he's also very, very aware of the climate crisis. He is a big climate proponent and that's not something you see with a lot of moderate democrats a lot of moderate democrats will kind of shy away from that but michael bloomberg is is uh, very known for his interest in the climate um a couple negatives that i've i've read about him is obviously that he's getting toasted for in the debates here is his stop and frisk policy that's what they they talk about all the time the stop and frisk policy and what that was is he he kind of allowed the nypd to profile people on the street, and if they look suspicious, they could go up and exactly what it sounds like, stop and frisk them and see if they were up to no good. And so what that led to was, was a lot race, of, was it yeah, exactly, a lot of racial profiling. And um, it was disproportionately sure, to yeah, people disproportionately, of color. Uh, disproportionately the, uh, the black Americans in New York City. And uh, it was later redacted, and he's, he's recently apologized for that, but he's getting, you know, absolutely ridiculed by uh, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, um, for all this kind of stuff. And another negative that's been touched on a lot is his uh, non-disclosure agreements with plenty of women that he has worked with in the past. I, I don't know the exact number. I don't think he said the exact number, but it's somewhere in six to 10 contracts that Michael Bloomberg has 
with women uh, with non-disclosure agreements, which means that he has given them a considerable amount of money to sign a contract that they will not talk about what he did to them and whether that's um, making them uncomfortable in the workplace, sexual assault. There are plenty of different things that that can mean, but uh, it has not been brought up specifically what those entail. And he's been asked to, to uh, you know, to, to release these women from the NDAs, but they will not. He, he's not willing to do that. So anyways, we got a lot of pros and a lot of cons about Michael Bloomberg. I think the big, uh, the big, you know, desire for him is that he's a moderate. Um, a lot of people can get behind what he's saying. He's not radical. You know what I mean? He's not a lifelong politician. Yeah, he's not. He's not a lot. He's, he's he used a to be a Republican. Yeah, actually, he actually, yeah, he transferred uh, from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. But he's not a lifelong politician. He has a lot of money. He's a successful businessman. Um, so a lot of people are drawn to what he has to say. A lot, a lot of ways like Donald Trump was in the 2016 election. That'd be a hell. That'd be a hell of an election if we had a. I mean, Donald Trump obviously wasn't the mayor of New York, but to have a lifelong New York uh, individual like Donald Trump, who in the 90s was a registered Democrat and converted to the Republican Party, go against a individual that was a lifelong Republican that converted to the Democratic Party. I just thought I would throw that in there. I think that'd be an interesting election. Yeah, especially from two non-politicians per yeah, se. I mean, Bloomberg was the mayor, but before that, he was all business. Was so. was uh, I don't know if you either of you gentlemen know, but was Bloomberg like Donald Trump born into a very wealthy family, or was he kind of more of a? I don't believe he was. I'm not positive about that, but I think he was a middle class. Uh, family that drew his empire by himself. That's very so there was not <laughs> there was not a small loan of a yeah, million dollars. Yeah, Trump's small loan of a million dollars. Yeah, I don't believe so. And you know it's really interesting because in the 2016 election, Donald Trump was talking about basically his the way he saw things and the way he debated things is that the most wealthy person in the room was the most respected, the smartest. Um, that whoever had the most money was clearly the best. And so that same uh, ideology would be very interesting with him and Bloomberg, Bloomberg in a debate because Bloomberg is worth approximately 16 times what Donald Trump is worth. So the, the very thing, you know, the foundation of his 2016 campaign is just absolutely void against Bloomberg. I, I mean, I think Donald Trump has taught us something too. I mean, he, he I've never heard of um, I golf for myself. I've never heard of tiny clubhead speed from mini Mike. Uh, clubhead speed is a. It's actually like usually you have high or low clubhead speed because it's an actual mile per hour tracking in which it's. I've never heard of tiny clubhead speed. <laughs> Donald Trump liked to label mini Mike with tiny clubhead speed. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting because they're both not career politicians, and something that we can kind of get into here is Mike Bloomberg doesn't have the best political prowess. I, I don't think he has the best political presence, but I think it's a little bit different in the Democratic Party. I don't know what, kind of my opinion on this sense, I think the Democratic Party probably values more mm, politically correct people, maybe, more than sure. the Republican Party. I feel like they kind of embraced Donald Trump's whole radical... You know, like, non-sequitur, out of, the, out of politics. F the yeah. system, drain sure. the swamp, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I don't know if that's going to work as well for Michael Bloomberg's non-political presence that he has. I think something we should touch on right now. I, I believe I, – let me check right here. I believe Michael Bloomberg is five feet nine inches. And so would we, as, Mike. A, would we as a podcast decide that he, he is eligible to be called Mini Mike? Five feet nine inches. I would say five, five feet nine inches is about the shortest you can be without being mini. 
for for that's hope that I hope that doesn't offend anyone. But and I'm talking about for males for for people that were uh, assigned male at birth. Uh, five foot nine is uh, probably about the height that you can be without being laid, labeled mini Mike with cl- tiny club head speed. <laughs> Google is telling me that Michael Bloomberg is approximately five feet eight inches and where that's reported from because I've seen everywhere from five with, foot with or, with or without sure. shoes. I've seen everywhere from five foot six to five foot nine. It's tough to say, but he's clearly under five ten. That's what we can say. Opposed to a Donald Trump, which is six, six four, three, three, six, six, six four. three, six four. And so if we think about a debate here, is can Bloomberg even stand over the microphone <laughs> versus Donald Trump? I do feel uh Donald Trump uh this is going to be coming, coming out of I'll say right field this time, but uh, Donald Trump is very scared about Mike Bloomberg because uh, Trump won the 2016 election because he won the moderate vote. Mike Bloomberg would win the moderate vote, and I think Trump is scared scared about uh, Mr. Bloomberg winning the nomination because he knows he is fucked if Mr. Bloomberg wins the nomination. And I'm just going to say that early in the podcast here and get it off my chest. You know, I think I think a great way to tell that uh, Mr. Trump knows that he is screwed if Bloomberg is the nominee. Oh, or fucked, whatever you want to. It's because the the rate at which he's tweeting at it. Yeah, he's scared. I mean, he's oh scared my goodness! About him. He's scared. Every time, mini Mike. Low tiny club, club yeah, speed. tiny Mike. Low club at speed. He's scared. He He's terrible. He's a twerp. He's a loser. He yeah. he tweets that all the time, and he hasn't tweeted about any nominee, Democratic nominee, hardly at all. Pocahontas. He's yeah, I mean, Pocahontas maybe a little times, bit, but, but <laughs> that's every now and then. We're not talking about every day. And I feel like every single day he's tweeting about Mini Mike. And so that would lead me to believe that he's a little concerned he, if yes. Mike gets a nomination because they're pretty similar. And I mean. If we're being honest here, Michael Bloomberg, he's a terrible he's, debater. He's, yeah, he is. He's not, he's not a lifelong politician, but I, I think there's a lot of moderate voters that I have spoken to myself that have said that they're going to they're gonna vote for Donald Trump if the Democratic Party doesn't elect Michael Bloomberg. Because unfortunately, uh, Bernie Sanders' po- like policies, and once they actually lay him, like a lot of people don't really think his policies are going to work, and like his, his economic policies are rational. So a lot of people are kind of just Bloomberg or nothing. So that's why I do think Donald Trump's kind of realized that. So he's very scared that Bloomberg's going to win the nomination. I think that's a great segue as well um, for us to discuss Bloomberg versus Sanders, that how absolutely polarized, even in the same party, that Bloomberg and Sanders, they might as well they be, like they, they may as well be in different parties. It's just like crazy that. that you have a billionaire versus a socialist, communist possibly, Bernie Sanders is like, I mean, he somehow made like $6 million in his political career and has three houses, but he's, he's all for just distributing money equally. As, as Bloomberg said, America's best known socialist has three houses and is worth a couple million dollars. <laughs> that's, that's a good saying, America's best known So I think the big question here, going back to the primary, before Bloomberg faces Trump, he's got to win the Democratic nomination first. So he's got bigger mountains ahead of him right now. And basically, he got into the race pretty late. And really his main strategy is spend as much money as you can to try and get on TV and spend as much money as you can on TV ads. And I guess let's just talk about for a second, like, do we think this strategy is going to work? I think, well, here's the thing. Bloomberg spent approximately, if I remember correctly, around $450 million as of right now on advertisements, um, you know, people supporting him. And that is more than every other candidate combined right now 
for the Democrats. And I believe uh, his, uh, I, I, you've seen his advertisements on all ABC, NBC, CBS, that's not the point though, but his, his, the end of his advertisement was, let's bring the United back into the United States. So do you think, the question that I guess arises from that is, do you think Mike Bloomberg would reunite the United States? Because obviously the United States right now is in a very polarized situation. I would say no, and the thing is, is I saw the Bloomberg ads and I was very impressed. I, I didn't even know he was running until, you know, approximately when he entered the race a month ago. I saw his ads and I was like, I could get behind Mike Bloomberg. And then I heard him talk for the first time at the Democratic debate. And I was like, I can't, I can't vote for this guy. He's terrible. Uh, I mean, I don't know about his policies specifically are terrible, but his, you know, his prowess on the debate stage is bad. And he, he he's not a well-spoken guy. He doesn't seem confident. No, he's he, not he confident. Seem confident. He's not a well-spoken guy at all. And so I, I think that's his biggest hurdle to get over right now is that he, after all of his ads, he had a 13% national poll, which was second place. It put him right behind Bernie Sanders. He was in second place. And then after the last two debates in the past two weeks, he's dipped down because his performance has been absolutely terrible. He's been horrible. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that'll be the biggest thing holding him back is that lack of political experience. I mean, he has political experience, but it doesn't seem like it when he's on the debate stage. Being, but I guess being, being mayor is a lot different. different yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's a lot different, but I think that'll be the biggest thing is if he can figure out a way to pair that money with debates and public performances, I think he could be the Democratic nominee, but um, I guess we'll just have to see. Another thing to touch on here, too, as well, is I don't know if you all watched the last debate on uh, this past Wednesday, yesterday. Um, it's been speculated that Mayor Bloomberg had hired people to go into the audience and cheer when he talked and booed when, about don't anyone they, else. Don't they all do that? Yeah, well, never on this scale. It was it was ridiculous. Every time George he would Soros talk, is sending people around. Every time that Mr. Bloomberg so. would talk, it would be an uproarious I, I cheer. I, I did hear that. It was crazy. And the thing is, is like um, he wasn't I mean, getting booed as much either. He was. Yeah, exactly. He and did then, get booed. He the, got booed the last, the last one. The guys. seats, the seats were apparently around twelve hundred dollars per seat, and uh, obviously Michael Bloomberg has the uh, has the, the, the wealth to the funds to make that happen, and so he has been apparently. Is what's been talked about. Just a quick. This is. I don't want to get off topic here, but uh, so obviously the Bloomberg, uh, like Bloomberg Media, is. But was that what was like that? This like the actual beginning origin, or I guess like what was the kickoff origin for his money? Was it all just he just made his money off Bloomberg Media? Like they yeah. paid sixty billion dollars off. Yeah, him. it's his company. What, what is Bloomberg Media like? What does it consist? Of? I believe it's a news organization. I, I just know Bloomberg like the newspaper, or yeah. not the newspaper, but like the channel. I believe it's a news organization. I, I, they own like so. This says Bloomberg is a privately held financial software data and media company. So this, it's more than just a media company. Yeah. So it sounds like they handle finances. Yeah, it's. I think it's got a wide variety of things, and I think it's just kind of expanded throughout the years to become a pretty big okay. empire. Okay. But yeah, I think overall, I mean, it was a pretty good discussion there. I think now to kind of wrap it up, if we just want to go around and give a little hot take about who we think is going to win the primary, is this kind of been the main discussion tonight? Um, but Blake, I'll start with you. You want to I'd love make to your prediction now? Um, I really think that Bernie's a front runner, and I don't see anyone overtaking Bernie in the next couple months. And I think that Bernie will win the Democratic nomination, which is the worst thing that the Dem Democratic Party could do. Because they may as well be handing Donald Trump another four years, just because I I don't I don't hate Bernie, 
I think he's a nice guy. I think his intentions are really good. I personally identify with some some Marx Marxist ideology. I think it's smart. Some feminists. Sure, but I think the implementation, especially in America, is basically impossible. And if you're trying to convince the moderate Republican, the moderate Democrat, to give up their health care, um, to get taxed, he has said that he wants to get. Get to get the private sure, sector to get to, to get taxed two million Americans are on the private sector to get taxed probably two to three right. times as much as they're currently getting taxed um, to relieve uh, all college debt when a lot of moderate families are saving up right now to send their kids to college I just don't see that happening and I think I think Donald Trump if, if Bernie is the nominee I see Donald Trump winning by double digits maybe even twenty percent I think it won't even be close and the bad part about it. So I don't think Bloomberg's a great opponent either, but I don't think the Democrats are gonna are gonna nominate anyone formidable to take on Donald Trump, and that's my take. Okay, so you're going Bernie with the nomination, and then Trump a, with the absolute a double digit loss to Donald Trump. All right, Andrew. Um, I, I'm I'm very similar to Blake in the way I feel. Uh, I, I do I do think that Bernie's gonna win the nomination. Do I believe that's the right move for the Democratic Party to make? Is the answer is simply no, and it's no. Like it, 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 it's not. It's I, I don't understand uh, how they went through the 26, 2016 election cycle and they saw what took place then. And obviously, Hillary was a front runner going into the nomination. She was winning every every poll you saw. Hillary was winning, and obviously, we saw how that turned out. So now they're kind of going back to this. They did like Elizabeth Warren ran in twenty sixteen. Obviously, I know to run for president, you have to kind of have a, you have to have a backing. You have to have a certain amount of signatures, which you've already established. I just feel like they kind of just literally are repeating exactly what they did in 2016, and they saw it was unsuccessful. And you think they maybe have learned from it, which is the only way I can say that they learned from it was Michael Bloomberg, because Michael Bloomberg obviously didn't run in 2016. So to me, their best bet would be to run Michael Bloomberg. I think he could give Trump a run for his money. I'm not saying Bloomberg would beat Trump, but that's the only one that I think that could give Trump a run for his money. I think Trump would will not destroy Bernie, but Trump Trump will win Michigan, he'll win Wisconsin, and he'll win Ohio, and he'll win Florida, which seals the election. So recap, who's winning the primary? I think, I think uh, Bernie's going to win the primary, and I think Trump won the nomination, but I don't think he's going to blow him away. I, I think Bernie's okay. going gonna to win. He'll win one of those swing states that Trump won in 2016. I, I don't know if it's going to be Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, or Florida. But Bernie's going to win one of those. Trump will take the other three, though, which is going to be enough. Because I think Trump, Trump's going to hold – he's going to hold stable in Texas. He's going to hold stable pretty much across the east – not the east coast, but like the east – by North Carolina. So I think I think he'll win North Carolina again. North Carolina is a swing state. If Bernie can somehow swing North Carolina, Michigan, and let's say Wisconsin, not even Ohio or Florida, then he has a chance. But I, I, I don't. I don't. See, I don't see him swinging all three of those states. All right. All right. So good predictions there. I'll go ahead and mix it up a little bit. I'll say Bloomberg's financials buy him the primary. Uh, just. Kind of give a little different perspective right. there. I think. Oh, I would be right. I too. mean, he's pumping the money, and then I think him and Trump that'll be a good battle. Um, and you know what? Screw it. I'll say Bloomberg takes it home, um, and I'm we'll see. Bloomberg. We'll see. I mean, I think Bloomberg has a decent chance, kind of that moderate candidate. Uh, but I think it'll honestly come down to a lot of what happens those few months leading up to the election. Obviously, those presidential debates would be very interesting between Bloomberg and Trump, but. Um, we'll see overall. But, yeah, those are our predictions right there. That's kind of wrap up the podcast. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, no, I just hope that Bloomberg gets coached up on his debate skills. I just think I, – I just really hope the Democrats can nominate someone who is a formidable opponent to Trump 
and we'll give him a run for his money because I think if they don't, then it's going to be uh, it's. And a, we, are we all in the agreement that there's only one yeah. minimal candidate? I think Michael Bloomberg, I think, even though he looks like an idiot on the Democratic I, I think, stage. I think the only other person that could give Trump a run for his money would be Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. and I, I like I, I like, I like Pete. I like him. I think he's a good candidate. I think he could give Trump a serious run for his money, but I don't see him being the nominee. Yeah, that's his big problem right now. Yeah, the moderates are kind of just spreading the votes as their problem. Absolutely. And then yeah. beating up on each other, but we'll see how it goes. Super Tuesday this Tuesday. Um, but as for us, we'll be back here next Thursday night uh, for episode three, but thanks for tuning in. We'll see you here next week.